In this episode, Anders Liu Lindbergh, former senior business partner at Maersk and currently the co-founder of the Business Partnering Institute, a leading advisory firm for senior finance and FBNA leaders, shares his insights into what business partnering is, why it's so important, and what it takes to develop highly successful business partners that drive value creation at the businesses they work at. Hi, I'm Rob and this is the CFO Playbook. Each week, you'll get insights from world-class finance leaders to help you grow your company and yourself and face the challenges required of today's finance leaders. Anders, fantastic. Thank you so much for being on the show. It's great to have you with us. I'm really excited for you to be here. So thank you for joining. Well, thanks for having me, Rob. I'm sure also excited to be here today and sharing my thoughts on you know, business partnering and the future of finance and you know what can finance really do to become impactful in the company. Brilliant. Okay. So currently right now, you're the co-founder, COO, CMO of the Business Partnering Institute, which is a leading advisory practice for senior finance and FP&A leaders, essentially on everything to do with business partnering. That's super interesting. And I would love to talk loads about that. So I definitely want to spend some time talking to you and learning a lot more about that and exploring that. But Let's just step back before BPI and your time at Maersk, because you served as the senior finance business partner for Amir at Merck's. So for listeners who don't know, can you just explain what Maersk does at a high level and then start to talk about your role at, at Maersk as a senior business partner? Absolutely. So, so Maersk is the largest container shipping company in the world. So it's in the transport and logistics industry. Right? So you've probably seen the vessels with Maersk on. Maybe you've seen the containers with Maersk on. Right. So you, you would see it everywhere. And so I was in, 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 at Maersk for, for 13 years. I also spent some time in their oil and gas business, which they don't have anymore, working in various finance roles. And my last role in 2019 was, as you mentioned, the senior finance business partner for the, the Europe and Middle East region. And so my job was really to support the product teams that manage the, the product, which means, you know, the sailings from Asia through Middle East and into Europe. And then, of course, back again, they managed those products. It was like an $8 billion business and $3 billion in, in assets. And of course, you know, a bottom line, I could swing from plus half a billion dollars to minus half a billion dollars, depending a bit on how the how the business cycle was going. So a huge opportunity to create value and, and to support senior business leaders in how they make decisions, both at a strategic level, but also at a tactical level. And knowing that, you know, every single decision they make could be millions of dollars in impact. That was a, a hugely uh, impactful and interesting role to have. And really the embodiment of what I would like finance professionals to do in their companies, which is really to support business leaders make better decisions. And was that a sort of role or a mindset as being a business partner that you already knew? Or was it something that you were taught as you went into that role? Or, or was it something that you effectively built yourself? How did all of that come about? Yeah, it was probably a combination of many things. But I, you know, at Maersk, I was in business partner related roles for, for 10 years. And, you know, I thought I was successful along the way. Looking back, you know, hindsight is always 2020. I can see that I was not really successful in the first many years. But in 2017, we actually launched the biggest training program in the world at Maersk on business partnering. And I think it still probably stands as the biggest program. We did, we took 475 people through a three-month program in a matter of one year. 
right? So it's a massive undertaking. I was both as a participant there, also as a project leader for that project. But that was really the first time any of us got training in how to become a business partner. And so I used all that to reflect and say, you know, when I then got my latest role, what is a good approach to doing this? And that's when I felt now I've arrived. Now I know exactly how to do this. And it worked. One of the product managers I supported, he won turnaround product of the year. The other one, he was in a tough situation, but we mitigated what could have been like a half a billion dollar loss to, you know, just 75 million, right? So lots of impact in that role. And, you know, they told me that they would have done something, but they couldn't have done it to that extent without the support that that they got from me and, and the team backing me. So experience and training going hand in hand and really just having this learning mindset all the time because I made a lot of mistakes and I learned from those mistakes and became better all the time as well. That's, that's really what brought me there. So there are some uh, some scars and and some war stories from from that time, which uh, I, I'd love to love to unpack. But before we do that, let's just for everyone just define business partner. Like, what is it, and how is that different to other functions within the finance department? First off, you know, business partnering is, is first and foremost a mindset, and sometimes a role. Right. So it should be a mindset for everyone in the finance function to say, you know, today I go to work to create value to drive some new information that someone can use to make better decisions, right? So anyone can be a business partner, although there are some that has a title of a business partner. But what is it? So we've actually put it on a formula and we say insights times influence equals to impact. And so insights is the information that we come up with that stakeholders in the business don't know about, but can help them make better decisions, Right? So if you only share historical numbers that they already know, it's nice. Of course, maybe it looks fancy and it's easy to understand, but it doesn't help them because it's already factored into decision-making. And if what we share with them is something that they don't know, but it doesn't help them make better decisions, it's even worse because then they have to spend time processing this information and it's all rubbish and you know we're not being partners. So that's insights. Influence is around getting buy-in and acceptance for your insights, right? If you have no influence, you can have all the greatest insights in the world, but you're not getting anywhere with it. So you need influence as well. And influence is really, you know, being customer-centric. In this case, you know, a customer could be a sales manager or a marketing manager or an operations manager. So treat them as your customer, find out what are their needs, and then deliver on those needs, help them solve their key pain points. Then you are influencing their, their decisions, right? So that's insights and influence. And if you do both well. It's a multiplier. It's not a, it's not a plus. If you do those well, you have impact, which is better decision-making and stronger execution. So that to us is business partnering. That's super interesting. And, and you mentioned there that influence is, is really key and delivering insights that are of value. So to start there, to deliver those insights, you must need to get under the skin of the person that you're working with, that you're, you're effectively your, your customer and understand the business from their perspective. Absolutely. So, so we sort of unpack the inside bit into three pieces. There's the driving performance management, which, you know, finance is typically involved in, but I'd say it goes beyond just performance management and into more, you know, let's say business performance management. So don't just talk about the financials, talk about the business metrics. That's what made me very successful in my, in my last role, because I said, let the financials be what the financials are. Let's focus on the business metrics because they are leading indicators for the financial metrics. So if we do well on business metrics, the finances should take care of themselves. And only if there's a, let's say, a disconnect, I would look at the, fi- the financials, right? So that's really step number one. Focus on driving business performance. 
Step number two is optimizing the existing business. You can use like lean frameworks, Sigma, other things to do that, right? So continuous improvement in the business, drive down costs or improve processes or something else. And the last bit is more commercial mindset where you say, what can I do to help grow the company? What are we going to be doing three to five years from now? What strategic choices should we make? How can I improve the customer mix or get more revenue out of the contracts? Whatever it might be, right? So grow the business, optimize the existing business and drive performance management. That's how you generate insights. And are you able to use some of your time at Merce to give an example of, of putting that in where you were able to put that into practice? One of the things I did when I started this, this latest role was to, because we only had a, a P&L review every month, right? So we we're not discussing business performance. We were discussing financial performance. But I had a lunch. So I sat down with each of my, my four product managers that I was supporting and say, okay, well, how's business doing? What are your plans for the year? Of course, we introduced ourselves and all that. Then we got a good anger into, okay, Andrews wants to know something about what I'm doing. And people love to talk about it themselves. So we had a good conversation there. Then I went back to, to my desk and said, okay, can you please can you send me the plans that you have? I'd love to see them. So I saw their plans, you know, there's the strategy for the year, you know, the metrics they wanted to succeed on and their, their tactics to get there. And I said, if this is what you want to achieve, I'm going to create this business performance review. We called it like the monthly product review to help you follow up on this. And they said, great. Can finance also do that? I thought you were about cost and, and PL and working capital and all that jazz. Of course, right? This is this is what's most important to you. If I, your business partner, is not spending time on what's most important to you, then what am I doing? I'm not here to succeed myself. I'm here to help you succeed. Right. So these business performance review we then ran on a monthly basis. A good thing about those was that we didn't have to wait two weeks for the financials to get done. We could look at the business metrics pretty much the next day after the month or the week is closed. And so we had good conversations when it mattered, not when it was too late. And so we took actions and improved the business from there. Was there any resistance initially to from the product managers to release and share those uh, plans with you? Or were they more than happy to share that with you and you didn't have to do any more convincing than that? They were not used to that from before because we were not giving that kind of support. But they knew that they it were great to have. They just didn't know it could come from finance. So me having that, you know, I had like a half an hour lunch with them. It was the first time I really, really met them individually. So me just simply having that lunch and being curious and open and, and wanting to understand, you know, all about the business opened the door for me to ask that next question, right? Then they send some stuff to me. They don't expect anything. So it's all about what I do with it. And I really use this simple approach, which I call surprise and deliver. Right, So you deliver a positive surprise, something that they did not expect from you, but can actually help them. And then, of course, you have to deliver on it. Right, So it's not just making the template. It's also having the reviews and having thoughtful conversations. But when I sent them back, okay, here's how I think we can follow up in performance. They're like, okay, this actually looks like something I can use. And you know what? The only thing I had done was I just taken their presentation, mirrored that, and just put some met some real metrics on it and say, let's just follow up like this. And like, it looks like what I've done. And now you just tell me I mean, that makes sense, right? So I was not doing something completely new. And they would say, but I have this. Why you wanted me to do? I just took what they had, flipped it over, and made it something useful for a performance review. 
I bet they they absolutely love that because for them seeing those insights and for them to know that someone has their back or is a partner with them to to show them those key insights about their business just takes another part of what they need to look at. The need to do that is taken away and it's and it's looked after by someone they they trust. And I love that surprise and deliver. That's such a great mantra to take into your work on a daily basis. And you mentioned that you were looking regularly at the business performance metrics versus the financial metrics. So let's just double click into that for a second and just understand the difference between the two. Let's say in a container shipping environment, a business metric would be like volume and price, for instance, right? So product managers, they set the price for the product. They also have some pricing managers that would do it on short-term contracts. And, you know, their key metric every week is how much volume can they ship on the vessels, right? So we were looking at vessel utilizations, we're looking at volumes, where the volume is coming from, what's the mix of the volume, what's their gross margin, and so on and so forth. So these are all business metrics that I, as I see it. And of course, you can go even further out and look at sales pipeline and other things, but, but these were the things we were looking at, at, at with the product managers. And they would, of course, at some point translate into financials, but just talking about the revenue, for instance, then you get revenue recognition into the picture and to say, well, I've sold this container for $3,000 to ship from Shanghai to Rotterdam, and I expect these 3000 to show up in my pinup. But they only show up gradually as the container moves along. And you know, once it gets to, to Rotterdam and then maybe to the end customer, you see the full benefit. So already there, it was challenging for them to understand, okay, you know, how is this all working? And revenue recognition could go up and it could go down and, you know, it's a tough one to explain. So that's already the first disconnect that you would have if you only look at the financials. I ship this container, but it's yet to show up in my financial. I don't understand. You know, t- tell me how, to, how it works. So simply shifting to the business metrics made the performance dialogue much easier because we were all talking a language that we'd all understand rather than talking revenue recognition, which you're a product manager and have no idea about what it is. And also those are lagging indicators and you can't really affect them at that point. If you're, if you're at the business metrics, you can actually talk about what can be done to improve and, and adjust and adapt. But if you're, if you're at the lagging and you're talking revenue and revenue recognition, and also at that point, there's no context. It's a pretty moot conversation ultimately. Absolutely. And just to give you an example, right? So while I was there, we were rolling out a new online pricing uh, pricing engine. Just like you book an airline, you could then go into this portal and you could book your container. That you know changed the, the dynamics of how we set prices and so on. So we were all learning on the go. And we saw then during, uh, during summer of 19 that the prices were taking a steep drop and we didn't exactly know how, but we had the visibility and we're following this very, very closely. And because we had these discussions on a very regular basis, the pricing managers were able to figure out that, well, it's because we set prices for our four weeks out into the future. Competitors only do it two weeks out. So if they see a four-week-out pricing point, which is a bit lower because you want to incentivize people to book early, which is like you know, a flight. If you book early, you're typically lower price. If you book late, it's a higher price. It was not exactly like that dynamics in container shipping. So competitors were looking at this four-week out price and adjusted their two weeks out price with that, and then it you know went into a downward spiral. If we had waited for you know say the PL to come in and, and look at that, and we're like, we missed three months worth of taking action. Looking at business metrics brings the discussion forward to a time where you can take action. If you take action on financials, you're always going to be too late. It's not to say you can't. Just going to be too late and you will miss out one, two months of uh, intervention. So lots of successes there. But you also mentioned 
earlier on that, you know, you've got a few scars, there are a few failures along the way. Failures are great because that's how we learn and, and, and we should embrace failure to, as, uh, from that perspective. But maybe you can give some uh, examples of when that occurred. Yeah, I mean, we could probably do a whole podcast about my failures. <laughs> a lot of people want to hear even more so maybe about the failures than, than about the successes, right? Because the success, that's the, that's the end outcome. It doesn't tell me what you learned, right? Because obviously you've learned in, in order to do this. So in terms of failures, I mean, there's a couple to pick from, but I'll, I'll pick one around, uh, you know, what I call the pricing report. And, you know, I've done, you know, full presentations around these failures, right? So they all have stories. And it was from a previous role I had as a business partner as well, and same level and all that, just a few years before. We were supporting a VP of a region, and it was very much a commercial region, and I was like a finance business partner. And at Merce, the tides will always swing between price and, and volume. So sometimes we want volume, sometimes we want to focus on price. And for a long time, it has been focused on volumes, but then recently it has switched to price. And this VP travels around the region and he goes into some product meetings with the product managers and he sees they're not talking about price, only talking about volumes because that's what we've been talking about for six, 12 months. So he comes back to the regional office and he's hugely frustrated because he's saying they're not talking about price and price is the most important thing right now. He was always exploding, right? He was not telling anyone to do take any action. He was venting, right? And I thought to myself, okay, now I'm going to be a great business partner. So I'm going to take this venting and I'm going to create this report so we can see how things develop. And so I created the report and, uh, you know, showed it to him and said, yeah, it's great. Let's just send it out. So I sent it out and I tried to, you know, share a few uh, comments on the, the what was going up and what was going down. But it was just something I sent out in emails and I let some other people discuss it. I didn't really bring any insights to the table. I didn't really follow up with people. So, you know, can we use this? Is it actually, you know, what actions can we take? So it was this classic thing of finance, creating a great report, maybe with insights, but not really influencing any decisions taking. So at the time I thought, yes, I'm a business partner. I'm having impact. I'm helping this VP. But the fact was that I didn't really have any impact, right? Because I was not influencing any decisions. So that's what I said, you know, looking back at things, I thought I was successful, but actually I was not. And this VP certainly did not recognize me as a great business partner either because I was just sending out these emails. In that particular case, what, what would you have done differently? Never sent out anything without following up with the receivers in terms of, is this useful? What actions can we and should we drive with it? And let's have a talk around that. Right? So you should not send out, you should go through it with them. Find a time to sit down and discuss it, not just FYI, I've done this report and here's the, here, are my, here are my thoughts. It's, it's find the time, discuss it and, and decide on what the actions are. Anyone who's listening, if you only send out stuff, just stop doing it. Go have a conversation and figure out whether it's useful. If from stopping all these uh, 30 reports that you are sending out, you get a few angry emails back, that's good. At least it shows that people are using it but stop sending, stop talking. The business partner role is clearly a role that adds a significant value to any business. Is business partnering a established function within most finance organizations or is the adoption towards business partnering still relatively immature? It's very much different across the globe, right? So if you look, for instance, in, in the UK and, and parts of North Europe, Australia also is quite established. If you look in the US, for instance, it is nowhere. It's really just more FPNA. 
it's coming. But as I said, you know, it doesn't have to be a function as such. It can just as well be the mindset and the skill set that you give to people to succeed. So technically speaking, at Maersk in my last role, yes, my title was a business partner, but I was part of the FPNA team, right? So I was part of FPNA being a business partner. So I would say, you know, any FPNA team out there in the world, they are the first in line to be business partners. But I'd say in, in Denmark, for instance, where, where I'm based, you know, we have business finance functions all over the place. So business finance is really, you know, okay, we have finance, now we need to help the business do something. So in these business finance functions, you would have both business partners and financial analysts working together in bringing these insights to business stakeholders, helping them better decisions. So you often see business partner roles, just like mine, attached to a product team, a procurement team, a sales team. So you become their business partner, their, it's called a key account manager, go-to thing for everything around finance and performance. And, and so you see that more and more, but still a lot of people struggle with the skill set and actually succeeding with this. They know what they need to do, but it's just hard to do it. Why is it hard? Why do, why do yeah, certain organizations, certain people find that difficult to actually put into practice? You know, the three times I write insights times inference equal in value. It's very simple to explain, but it's hard to do because it's behavioral change. You have to do something different. And I think we can all relate to whether we're in finance or not, that behavioral change is difficult. Think about, you know, losing weight. It's easy to motivate yourself to losing weight. You're looking at yourself and say, okay, I need to lose 10 pounds. And you're getting up on the scale the first day, I got to lose 10 pounds. And then you buy the gym membership in January because it's your New Year's resolution. And you go to the gym, work out for a few a few times in January. Come February, you're not renewing it and you're like falling back to your, your old habits and old routines. It is difficult to really get this done. That's why most are not succeeding because they see it as a, I'm going to go to a two-day training in something, let's say a presentation technique, and then I'm going, to, I'm going to come back as a great business partner. But it's a learning journey. It could take two to three years of concerted efforts, good coaches, good mentors, good leaders, role models around the organization, you know, a new organizational structure, maybe even better BI tools. A lot of things need to happen to give you a fighting chance to succeed. And I think that is only starting to dawn on many senior finance leaders today that is actually a longer journey and it takes some serious efforts. I mean, we've built a building block model that has like 15 building blocks that you need to do all of them well to succeed. And it sounds a lot, it sounds overwhelming. It is, I agree, but that's what it takes. You know, we've been trying for so many years and not succeeded yet. So obviously we need to do something more and something different. So if anyone's listening that has not put this in place or has struggled to put this in place, where would you recommend they start? What practical steps could they take to begin this process? There are three steps for the whole process. Step one is to establish the foundation. Find a common definition of business partnering in your company. Establish a capability model. What skills do people need to succeed? Define the organizational structure that, that is to be to support your business stakeholders. Create a benefit case. What do you want to get out of this? What behaviors have changed? What tangible value creation business results have we been part of delivering if we are to succeed with this? And last but not least, create alignment within the leadership team. You know, in, in the finance leadership team, you have like accounting, you have tax, even maybe M&A, treasury, strategy. You have all sorts of different functions. And if business partnering is not a top three priority, forget about it. Wait until you think it's a priority. I think there was a a survey done by a Danish consulting company some years back that, you know, among senior finance leaders that said 60% of them said business partnering is important, but only 3% of them had as a top priority. 
That right there is why we're not succeeding. So take the first step to build the foundation. Then you have to make it concrete, and then you have to make it live in the, organiz- uh, the, in the organization. But most companies, honestly speaking, they don't even have the foundation in place. So I would start there. Do you think that the business partnering is, I mean, I think you'll, you'll answer yes to this, but um, is the future of, fin- of the finance professional? It's certainly a big part of it, right? But I would also say, you know, analytics, data science, and AI and how we apply to that, that's another big part of it, right? So business partnering is certainly not the only thing, but it's the last mile that makes all the rest of it count, right? We don't have a robot yet that can sit next to us and we can ask all the questions we want and it will come up with the right answer, right? So we need partners slash advisors next to us when we're business leaders to advise us on what would be the best possible decision, it doesn't mean that the business partner is always right. It could be they make a recommendation, someone else makes a recommendation, and they go with the other recommendation. But we are there to qualify the discussion around making the best possible decisions. That is a key part of the future of finance, that we are there at the table, not just reporting the numbers, but contributing with business insights, making recommendations, strategic, tactical, whatever it might be, about how to move the company forward, realize the strategy, create value. That's the future of finance. How do you know if you're being a successful business partner? What sort of feedback would you be looking for to say, this is fantastic, this is working really well? There are typically three, three measures that I would point to. The first, of course, is, is our, the business that I'm supporting or the overall company, are we meeting or beating our targets, right? That's number one. We're talking about business results, value creation. We're not talking about process improvements or a nice fancy report, right? So business results, are we meeting or beating the targets? That's number one. Number two is stakeholder feedback. Right, So it could be the business is doing great in its own. It doesn't need finance to support, right? So we're not part of that value creation. That's why we ask our customers, okay, so have I been part of this? Would you actually, we would ask Net a score, would you recommend me as a business partner to another business stakeholder, right? Then you get a single number that says, is the customer happy with you or not? And if it's negative, definitely not. If it's near zero, you're not having an impact. If it's positive, you have somehow Somehow, I say somehow, you contributed to this value creation. So that's step number two. The third step is really to describe or document what was your role in it, right? It could be that they're very happy with you and they deliver results because they get a nice report from you. That could be that they're very happy with that, but it's not business partner. So you have to describe what was my role in delivering these results. If you say, okay, I sent the report, Anyone can see you're not doing business partnering. But if it was, okay, I, you know, I called in for the workshop, I facilitated some brainstorming, I gathered the idea, I did the business case, I embedded the business case of the stakeholders, I sent it for approval, we got approval, I followed up on the results and we got the results and we discussed what we can do more. That's business partnering, right? Then you're describing your role in it. So if you can do these three things, deliver business results, get great customer feedback and describe what you did in all of this, you're being successful. Getting feedback is a tough one. That's another thing to add into the day-to-day of, of when you're incredibly busy and there's a lot of projects going on to then take the time to go ask for that candid feedback, listen to what's being said and, and learn from it. So how do you practically do that? Is it something that you want to be doing on a monthly basis, quarterly basis? How do you tackle that? The simple way to tackle it is simply to, to run a survey, right? So you don't have to go around and ask everyone, what score will you give me? If you have a larger pool of business stakeholders that your smaller team of finance professionals are supporting, 
you know, you would ask them and you would ask them to say, okay, I'm being supported by this business partner here. I have this and this feedback. And you probably add in a few other questions than just the net promoter score. And then you have the net promoter score question. Then you get a report, you know, typically there might be, let's say five, six up to 10 stakeholders that you are supporting and you aggregate that comments and you get a number, right? We did this in the team. I was part of late, the latest at Merck because I thought this is, this is what we need to do. So I set up the survey. We sent out the survey. We had like 40 stakeholders in total and we got like 30 responses. It's a great response rate. And we got, we got the number and we had not done it before. We had seen others do it and not get so great results. So of course we were very curious to see how the results came out. And we got a, an, an NPS of plus 56 the first time we did it. So that's, that's of course fantastic, right? Great to see that. And we're like three months into brand new team, new roles. And this was, you know, this was great stuff. Now, of course, there was differences between the business partners and all that. But this just told me that we can do this. We are doing this, right? And then we did another one six months later and had, had it had moved us to plus 61. So we were even improving in the customer satisfaction. It gave us great feedback in terms of what we could do better, what we should continue to do well. And of course, it was a good segue to go and have a conversation with at least a few of the stakeholders and say, you know, thanks for responding to the survey. We couldn't see the names as such, right? But we could see how many responded. So we sort of knew who had given the responses. So we said, you know, great, thanks for that. And can we just have a half an hour talk about how it's going and how I can improve? And I'd say, you know, we had senior stakeholders and, and their teams, right? So if you have like one senior stakeholder and a team, I would definitely have like a monthly one-to-one with this stakeholder just to sit down and say how are things going, what can I help you with, report on stuff you've already helped with, talk about what, what can I do better. So you get this continuous uh, feedback loop, but don't run a survey every month. That would kind of, that's going to annoy the stakeholders. So the survey, you'd recommend maybe once a quarter, once every six months? Yeah, once a quarter, once every six months, I would say. It depends a bit how much change is going on, right? If you have just launched a new team, like we did there, maybe you want to do it a bit more frequently. But if you have been running the same for, for a while and you already have a lot of improvement initiatives going on, maybe once every every six months, it's okay. And maybe use a simple tool like Google or SurveyMonkey, something relatively straightforward and cost-effective. You know, that's really great advice because people can take that away and, and actually implement that. And on top of that, you were saying, take it as an opportunity to sit down with the stakeholders and get more of the context and color to some of the responses. Exactly. I mean, you need, you need feedback to become a better business partner because unlike, you know, you also asked earlier on, you know, what, how is it different from other roles in finance? Unlike other roles in finance, business partnering is an interaction between people Whereas if you're an accountant or controller, you will mostly, I say mostly, have an interaction with the numbers. And there you can typically say, am I successful? Okay, is it, is it green in the system? And is that tick mark in the checklist? Okay, I'm probably successful. I've done my job. You cannot do that with business partners. You have to go and observe them in action and say, how is this going? Oh, okay, this is how he, the, the relationship with the stakeholder, this is how she presents the insights and so on and so forth. And then, you know, between business partner and leader, you can have great coaching conversations around how can I do better? But if the leader has not observed the business partner in action, you cannot do this. You have hearsay from the business partner and the stakeholder. Hopefully they say the same, but, you know, 10 people in the same room can have 10 different interpretations of what has gone on. So you need to observe this yourself. And that's a completely different role than, let's say, uh, accounting or controlling. Why should finance leaders embrace business partnering? I mean, you mentioned some of the, the fantastic business impact, but is it, 
But is there anything in addition to to why finance leaders should embrace this now rather than wait? Like you, you mentioned that there are a lot of companies that maybe don't even have this on the top priority list of putting in place. So what would you say to them to encourage them to push this to the top of the priority list? Let's just set the whole value creation aside and just look at their stakeholders, the CEOs of the world and the other CXOs of the world. They want this partner. They want someone to help them make better decisions. It's a demand coming from the business already. And I think you see that also confirmed in many, in many surveys, right? And you're starting to see more and more CFOs and senior finance leaders being let go because they are not business partners. I don't think you saw that 10 years ago. Then you were still fine with compliance and control. Now you got to be this advisor. And if you're not, you won't last long. So, you know, if not for all the great things, then at least you should, you, you know, you're going to get a boot in the ass if, 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 sorry, my <laughs> if you're not doing it. But, you know, take the positive route and say, it's more fun and exciting work to do because you're contributing to moving the company forward rather than just reporting on how it went in the past. It certainly sounds like it. And it also sounds that for any aspiring finance leaders who ultimately want to step into the role of a CFO, there's some really key skills they can acquire that will be incredibly valuable for when they make that move into the CFO role. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I guess it's still even today, maybe it is prevalent to have CFOs that are, you know, coming out from the CPA ranks. Not to say there's anything wrong with, with CPAs, right? But you need to take detours to be closer to the business. You know, it can even be in the business, but let's just say, I would expect in the future that more CFOs have at least had some sort of a business partner role in the past, right? It could be a VP of business finance, FP&A, that at least that gets you closer to the business. So I think we will see more and more of that than just, you know, pure accounting CFOs coming up for the ranks because you need exactly, you know, different skills to succeed. You need to be able to influence decisions, communicate assertively, build relationships with people, right? You're in finance and thinking, you know, build relationships, that's sales, right? They build relationships with customers to sell stuff. Why do I need to? But you need to because that's how you build trust. If you don't have trust, you cannot influence any decisions, right? So you need that. You need business skills, right? You need to understand the business model, the business strategy, and have commercial acumen to understand how do we actually make money in our company? If you don't understand that, how can you actually support with meaningful insights? So I think those are two key parts that, you don't get just coming up with the accounting ranks. So you need to take a much more diverse set of roles before you can be an impactful CFO. So we're going to see many more CFOs with that business partner background as we move forward. Absolutely. That would at least be my expectation. Of course, I'm biased, so that's what I think. But I think if you haven't had success as a business partner in the past, how can you be a successful CFO? I, I cannot see it. So just changing gears slightly. So you uh, you co-founded the Business Partnering Institute and you became the CMO as well as the COO of the Business Partnering Institute. That's right. Have I got that right? That's correct. I guess these days I'm doing everything but finance. <laughs> so is there anything that you think that COOs or CMOs wish that CFOs understood from their perspective? It's all about understanding their key pain points, right? So if, if I'm a CMO, for instance, right? Something that's been talked a lot about, you know, both from the finance side, but I'm sure also from the marketing side is what's the return on investment on our marketing activities? Can you give me a number on that? 
I'm sure marketing, they're doing what they can to figure it out. But can finance actually figure out what's the return investment on marketing activities? Because if we can figure this out, we can also figure out what's delivering great returns and what's not delivering great returns. And then we can make adjustments to how we run marketing. But there's not a lot of finance people out there that can actually do this as a CMO. I would wish that there is someone coming to tell me and say, Anders, you should spend even more time on LinkedIn and not do anything else because it's yielding us such great results in our business or, you know, run more sales campaigns or whatever it might be. But that's what I want if I'm a CMO. If I'm a COO, it's around operational efficiencies. Okay, tell me where am I, you know, spending too much money on repair and maintenance on my equipment and, you know, how can I do this better? Do a benchmark analysis, do something for me that can help me understand how to optimize my spend and how to make my operations run more smoothly, right? So if I'm another CXO and I'm looking at my CFO and say, I wish you knew all my pain points. And what's the great thing about that is we can figure that out by having a conversation. So stop sending, stop talking, and let's talk about this and figure out the pain points so you can start help solving them. It's really that simple. I love that. I love the fact that, you know, you're you're effectively emphasizing the human relationship in business and, and finance really making that shift of mindset to go and and effectively be curious and understand the, the business at a, at a deeper level, which will help the business be more successful, but ultimately is super rewarding from, from a personal perspective because you really are making a difference. That's what everyone wants to do, regardless of whether you're in finance or marketing or sales. You want to feel like you're making a difference to the business. That's the key part, right? And, and that goes for anything, you know, any, anyone in business, right? If you're not making a difference, if you're not engaged in what you do, don't do it. I mean, find something else to do. And if you succeed with business partnering, my experience at least is that it's hugely rewarding. We go to work in the morning, we are full of energy, and then we spend all the energy at work, and then we go home and we are sort of drained from energy. You know what happened to me when I you know, really cracked the code on this? I went to the morning full of energy, and I left the office with even more energy. And it sounds impossible, but that's what that you know successful feeling gives you. You're like high on adrenaline or whatever it might be. And it's just a fantastic feeling when you have these successful breakthroughs within business partnering. So I wish this for anyone to experience this rush of today, I was a great partner, we created value and I got great feedback from my stakeholders. This thing rocks, right? I mean, it's really, that's the stuff if you can say it like that. You're so energized from the day that you actually don't want to leave the office versus looking at the clock and going, okay, great. It's time for me to go home now. Exactly. And, you know, now, of course, I, I do something different, right? But just to give you another example of, of this, we did a full day virtual training on Teams some weeks back. And you would think you would be completely drained after such a day, right? But it was just an awesome, awesome experience with an engaged team and engaged leader and you know, great interactions with everyone that I left that day, that I left the office with, again, even more energy. I was like high on energy and I almost couldn't sleep because it was such a, an amazing experience, right? So seek out those experiences. And I really think for many finance professionals, accountants, business partnering is a way to get those experiences because you are involved in everything that goes on in the business and you're feeling like you're making a difference. One additional question that I think would be really interesting to get your perspective on is finance as a function, as are all functions within a company, is, uh, are digitizing incredibly quickly. So when it comes to business partnering, is there a particular technology that is underpinning and supporting this role? Can you speak to any particular tools, systems, 
that are particularly useful that enable a business partner to be as successful as they can be? So what we want to try to get out of is really having to do a lot of manual analysis, let's say in Excel, because that takes a lot of time and we need to spend that time with, with our stakeholders. So, you know, any BI tool, let's just use Power BI as an example, right? It's a great way to level up from Excel to something that is more visual and dynamic and you can, you know, plug it straight into your database. So you can just press a refresh button every month. Then your management reporting is right there and you can go into the meeting. Tools like that, that free up time at the same time gives you more insight at the same time is more visually appealing is fantastic for business partners. And of course, you know, there are many tools out there that, that can do this. So, you know, I'm trying to be too agnostic here, but any tool that, that can do that, that can help you better communicate your insight, find the insights faster and, you know, make it more dynamic because things change all the time. If you have to do manual updates, you'll be killing yourself with that. So that's, there's a lot of tools out there that can help finance do their work more effectively. There's also, you know, AI and other tools you can use for, let's say, doing your forecasting. So it's more accurate. So you don't have to spend time on that. But really everything that helps you get FaceTime with your stakeholders and discuss what do we do with this, right? Rather than what is it or why is it happening? What do we do with this? That's the discussion you want to be having. So get out of, uh, find tools that allow you to get out of compiling the data and the what you're looking at is getting to the place where you can see those that those data points instantly, know that you can trust them and they're accurate, which is also relatively challenging to make sure that, you know, that data that you extract from wherever it's living within a data warehouse is actually trustworthy. But assuming that's the case, you're then looking at the insights and, and, and are doing so on a regular basis and focusing on drawing the conclusions and then working with your business. You call them a business partner? I mean, you're the business partner, but what do you call your opposite number? The customer, the client? What do you typically call that? You can call them business stakeholders, right? So they're, they're stakeholders from, from the business. We more just put this customer overlay on it because we wanted people in finance to treat them like they were customers. Think of yourself as a key account manager for a customer. How would you treat that customer? That's how I want you to treat a business stakeholder, right? Because you want to find out the key pain point of the customer. And as a supplier, you want to help them alleviate those key pain points. That's exactly the same way you should work as a business partner. So spend the time working with your business stakeholders to discuss what the data is saying and then the, the actions to take as a consequence. Awesome. So it's pretty compelling as a discipline. If anyone would like to learn more, where should they go to uh, to get more insights and either start the journey or uh, to take where they are and, and, and take it to the next level? Right. So they can always uh, find uh, so find me on LinkedIn, right? So that's always a great, uh, great place to look. We've lots of, you know, great resources available right away. You know, if you just want to study a bit yourself, like I think you mentioned before we, before we started the ebook that we have, for instance, right? So lots of great resources available on, on, on this topic. But otherwise, you know, if you want to know more about business partnering and how to succeed with it, feel free to, to reach out and uh, let's have a sort of conversation. And it's the, the Business Partnering Institute, right? That's the, that's the name of um, your company that specializes in supporting businesses as they develop this uh, skill set. Exactly. So we, we work solely with finance functions that want to become better at, at business partnering. So we are businesspartneringinstitute.org if you want to find us there. But that's, that's, that's all we do, right? So we do research and networking, right? So we 
write about this stuff. We gather people who want to talk about this stuff. We're learning and development where we train people in how to do it. And then we do consulting in terms of building this framework, taking this first step on how to do it, right? So we really just had, try to help end-to-end on the journey from creating the vision with we want to do business partnering to actually succeeding with it underground. Anders, it's been fantastic having you on the, the podcast. I think you've provided some really strong insights as well as practical advice when it comes to a business partner. Thank you so much for, for joining us on today's show. Thanks so much for having me. It was a pleasure. One last thing. If you have a question you'd like to ask a guest, visit cfoplaybook.fm to submit it. This show is brought to you by Soldo, the brighter way to manage business spending and expenses. With Soldo, you can control every expense with custom budgets and track transactions in real time, connect accounting software to automate reporting, then use those insights to fuel growth. Learn more at soldo.com.